of the most fascinating adventures in the study of Torah is the absolute synchronization in every law between the legal and the spiritual, between the concrete and the transcendental. Tonight we're going to explore a law that at the surface seems extremely technical, legalistic, and yet upon deeper reflection we will show how the legal dimension is only a mirror for psychological, emotional, and spiritual lessons in one's journey throughout life. The 30th chapter of the book of Numbers, the portion of Matos, deals with the commandment for a person to fulfill their vows and promises. Judaism takes words very seriously. God, Genesis tells us, created the world through words. We can destroy the world through words. We can also heal the world. Heal souls and hearts through words. Words have significance and power. And when you make a vow, when you make a pledge, you ought to keep it and not desecrate it and violate, violate it. But there's also the concept of annulment of vows, knowing, known as haforas nidorim. Different methods through which you can nullify vows and promises that you have made so that you are not held any longer responsible and accountable for fulfilling them. Now, one of these laws of the annulments of vows deals with a father and a daughter. If a child makes a vow verbally, a boy or a girl, they're not held accountable after all their children, and they are not responsible for their verbal promises. But once they reach a certain age, a son, bar mitzvah 13, a daughter, bat mitzvah 12, now if they make a vow or a pledge, a promise, they have to keep it. With a daughter, there is an opportunity for her to annul the vows in the following method. If her father hears about a vow she made at the age of 12, he has the right to annul it. He declares it not, and guess what? She's not responsible any longer, even if she doesn't fulfill it. This, however, works only for six months. By the time she's 12 and a half, she's what's called a bigeris, a certain adult, a mini-adult. And now the father cannot annul her vows. Now it's her domain, her responsibility to deal with her own vows. So from 12 till 12 and a half, that's the stage she's known in halacha as a naira, a young girl. Those six months, the father can annul her vows. There's one more law recorded in Matis. Marriage. If she enters into marriage and she makes a vow and a promise after her marriage, her husband can also annul her vows, the Torah says. Now some people see this as a demonstration of the Jewish perspective that the husband owns and controls his wife, and therefore she can't even make a vow. She makes a vow if he wants, he annuls it. She's not held responsible for it. But that's a very superficial reading of it because... As the halacha makes it very clear, there are only two vows which a husband may annul. Two types of vows. Number one, 
if she makes a vow concerning their relationship, their marriage, that may compromise it, that may undermine it. For example, as Maimonides writes, if she makes a promise that she's never going to engage in intimacy with her husband, she makes a vow. I swear, I make a pledge never to engage in a relationship. This is directly hurting him, it's affecting him. He can annul the vow. The second is, if she makes a vow to torture herself, a vow of self-deprivation, to deprive her, let's say, of food, she makes a vow. And the Torah recognizes that a woman is sometimes very hard on herself, and therefore her husband can annul the vow. When he hears about it, he could say it's not, and then she can do what she wants, but she's not held responsible for it. It's not a sin any longer if she doesn't do it, because he annulled the vow. So these are the two types of vows that a husband can annul. Now, what about when the girl is what's called an arusa? She's betrothed. And let's explain. In Jewish law, marriage has two phases. The first phase is called Arusin. Second phase is called Nisuyin. Arusin will translate as betrothal, Nisuyin as marriage. Now, listen carefully because you have to get this in order to understand the class. Arusin betrothal is the stage when a husband betrothes his wife, places a ring on her finger or gives her something else of monetary value, says, You're consecrated to me through this ring according to the law of Moses and Israel. Now they are officially husband and wife. For them to separate, they need a get. He has to give her a divorce, and then the relationship is severed. From this moment of Arisen, they are a husband and a wife. However, this stage of Arisen does not bring them yet together in the same house. She's still living in her home, he's living in his home. They're married, but they're not living together as a husband and a wife in one home. Yes, she cannot marry anybody else because she's married to him. If she wants to, she needs a divorce. If she has a relationship with somebody else, it's considered adultery because she's married. Legally. But practically speaking, they're still separated. He's in his house, she's in her house. The second stage is called Nisuyin. Nisuyin is a full-fledged marriage. How do you do Nisuyin? They put up a chuppah, a canopy. They do the seven blessings, Sheva Brachot. The groom and the bride going together to Cheder Yichud, an exclusive room where they're alone. And afterwards, they are a full-fledged couple. They move into the same home. They become one flesh. They start playing house and, God willing, begin to build a family. In Talmudic and Biblical times, these two phases were actually done at two different times. First there was the betrothal, and only at a later stage was the completion of the marriage, the Nisuyin. Usually 12 months went by, passed by, between the Arisen and the Nisuyan. Nowadays, we do it all together. Under the wedding canopy, the groom places the ring on her finger and betrothes her. They take a break by reading the Ksuva, and then afterwards come the seven blessings, and the Cheder Yichud, the private room, which is the stage of Nisuyan. We do it all today in one evening, in one ceremony, both the Arisen and Nisuyan. Now, Back to the vows. If a wife is completely married to her husband, not just betrothed, but also fully married, then her husband has the right to annul her vows. What about when she is in the stage of an arusa? 
she is betrothed to him, but they're not yet completely married in the sense that they're not living together in one home. What's the status at that point? Then the status is that to annul her vows, you need both her father and her husband. Bring up source number one, and you'll see. Shulchan Aruch Yeridea Hilchis Nadarim Mishetis Aris Achatikonis Lechupa Ein Habal Mefer Levadei Veloya Av Levadei Mefer Elishneim Mefirim Beshutfus From betrothal until she enters the Chupa, the husband does not annul her vows alone, nor does the father annul his her vows alone. They both annul her vows in partnership. Vafilu Nadarim Shahayu Allah Kaidim Shnesarsa. They can annul even vows that she had before she was betrothed. If one annulled her vows without the other one doing it, her vows are not annulled. Let me explain. If you're dealing with a young girl who's 12 years old, a single girl, and she makes a vow, her father has the right to annul the vow. Good. If this girl gets betrothed and then married... Erusin and Nisuyin, and makes a vow after the wedding, her husband has a right to annul the vow. He doesn't need the father any longer. Now he's in a relationship with her. He can annul the vow. The question is, when the girl is in a middle state, she's betrothed, but not fully married. There was Erusin and no Nisuyin. It's a 12-year-old girl who is betrothed, but not in a full-fledged marriage. What happens now when she makes a vow? So Jewish law tells us two people have to annul it. Her father and her husband. Now, there's an advantage in each one of the cases when the husband annuls the vow. When the husband not only betrothed her, but fully brought her into her home, to his home, then in that case, he can annul the vows by himself. He doesn't need the father. He is the husband. He can annul her vows. On the contrary, when she's not fully married yet, when she's betrothed, he needs the father to annul the vows. As we said, they do it with a partnership. The father annuls the vows, and the husband annuls the vows. But there's another difference between the two cases. The husband can only annul the vows that she accepted upon herself after she is in his house. He cannot annul the vows that she made before their marriage. If she was 12 years old, and she made a vow never to eat cheesecake again, a few months later, she gets married. She's now living with her husband in the house. He cannot annul the vows that she made before their marriage. He didn't have a relationship with her then. His power to annul her vows is because of their relationship. Only the vows that were created post the beginning of their relationship go under his jurisdiction, so to speak. They affect him. The vows that she made before, independent of him, he cannot annul. He can only annul those vows that she makes after marriage. However, in the case of betrothal, when her husband, the groom, who betrothed her, annuls her vows, together with her father, 
they can both annul vows, even those that she made before she was betrothed. So if she's 12 years old and she makes a vow, I'm never going to eat cheesecake again. And then a few months later, she's betrothed. Her father hears about the vow and her husband hears about the vow. Together they nullify that vow. Here the husband can annul even the vow she made before he ever knew her. Before they ever began the relationship with her. That's the difference. A full-fledged husband who's living with her in the same home can only annul the vows that were done from the day they were married. From the day she went into the chuppah, not before. However, the groom who betrothed her, he can nullify even the vows that she made before he ever met her, before he betrothed her. What's the logic? What's the logic of the law that the betrothed husband has more power to annul even her previous vows more than the husband? The full-fledged husband. What's the logic of this? Take a look in the sources. Source number two. Rambam Hilchas Nadara. If she made a vow and only her father nullified it. This is a Naira, 12-year-old girl. And her groom who betrothed her did not hear about this vow until she went into her home. He can't nullify the vow that she made previously. Why? Because a husband doesn't have the right to annul the vows of his bride after she gets married, he cannot nullify vows that she made before they were married. Vows that she made before they were fully married, even after they were betrothed, he cannot annul those vows. He can only annul those vows before she comes into his home, together with the partnership of the father, together with the father, he can annul those vows. Once she's married, now the father has no jurisdiction over her. Over her, the husband can annul the previous vows. What's the logic of this? Take a look in source number three. The Torah says, if a woman makes a vow while she's in the home of her husband, he can annul it. So it's clear that he can only annul vows that she makes in his home. But the husband cannot annul vows that she made before she came into his home. Umine, from this we learn that Arus that an Arus, a groom who betrothed his wife, can annul vows that she made previously, before their relationship began. It's because of the partnership with the father. What the Talmud is telling us here is an important insight. A husband who takes his wife under the chuppah and they become a full husband and wife, he doesn't need the father any longer. He's annulling her vows by the merit that he is her husband. And therefore these promises are affecting him as discussed before that he can't nullify every vow his wife makes. Only vows that affect him. And because of that, the Torah gives him a right to annul the vows. Which vows does the Torah give him a right to annul? Those vows she made while she was his wife living in his house. The vows that she made earlier, he cannot reach into them. He cannot change them. He cannot alter them. Those were her vows. She accepted them upon herself. And she has to annul them on her own. 
However, the Arus, the husband who betrothed her, he cannot nullify her vows on his own. He needs the partnership of the father. They both need each other because she is in, in an intermediary state. On one hand, she's married. She was betrothed by a man. That's why her father can't just annul her vows. She has a husband. On the other hand, she's not living with her husband. She's still living in her father's home. So the Torah says you need a partnership. You need both the father and the husband to annul the vows if we want them to be annulled. The father has to annul the vows because he has a relationship with her. She's still in his home. The husband has to annul the vows because she has a relationship with him. She is betrothed to him. They both have to annul the vows. If one does it without the other, the vow is not annulled. She has to keep him. The father needs the husband, and the husband needs the father. Since the husband needs the partnership of the father, so he's not annulling the vows based on his own merit. He's annulling it together with the power of the father. So therefore, paradoxically, he can annul even vows that she accepted upon herself before he, he ever knew her. The Baal, the full-fledged husband, is annulling the vows based on his own merit. He doesn't need the father. So he can only annul those vows that she made once she was in his domain. But the vows that the betrothed husband nullifies, he is nullifying those with the help of the father. The father had a relationship with her always. So since he's joining hands with the father to annul her vows, so therefore they can go back even to vows that she made before she ever met this groom, and the groom can nullify those vows. How? She didn't make them while she was under his authority or his jurisdiction. The answer is, she made them when she was a daughter of the father. She was always a daughter of this father. And he's doing it together with the help of the father. So therefore, he can annul even the kaidman, even those vows that were made earlier. Take a look. Rambam, uh, source number four. Rambam Nedarim, Rambam, the laws of promises. May Sa'arus, if the betrothed husband dies. Here's a girl, a 12-year-old girl, got betrothed and her husband died. Chazr Savia, she's back in the home of her father. In the domain of her father. If she makes a vow, her father has the right to nullify them. To nullify it just like he did before she was betrothed. Because now her fiancé or her groom passed away. What happens if her father died after she was betrothed? And she makes a promise after his death. What happens now? Ein habal meifir. Her husband cannot nullify the vow. Because her husband cannot nullify the vows of his wife until she doesn't enter into the chuppah. He must have the partnership of the father. And the father is not here. As long as they're only mu'urasim, as long as they're only betrothed, they're not living in one home. The husband alone does not have the power to nullify her vows. After she enters into the chuppah, he can do it because he is a full husband living together. But when she's still separated from him, only from him, only in a state of betrothal, he must have the father to nullify the vow. He has to do it together with the father. The father has to say it's not, and he has to say it's not. Now, however, the father is gone. The father died. Since the father died, the husband is left alone. He can't nullify her vow. Her vow stands. And since it's the father who gives him the power to do it, therefore he has a power over the Baal, over the full-fledged husband, that he can nullify even the vows she made before betrothal. This is the legal 
composition of this law, these laws. We know that every law has a spiritual, psychological, and emotional counterpart. Let's explore that dimension presently and see how it contains a major lesson for common dilemmas that affect so many of us. There are two types of Jews, two types of human beings really. Those who are betrothed to God and those who are married to God. Those who are in the state of Arisen and those who are in the state of Nisuya. Legally, what is the difference between these two phases? We explained. In the first stage, the woman is married to her husband, but their relationship consists exclusively of the fact that she can't marry anybody else. That she will not engage in relations with anybody else. That she is committed to him. Their relationship is not defined by the positive con context of them living together and joining lives together. They're still separate. They're married in the sense that if she wants to marry somebody else, she needs a divorce. That at this stage, she can't have somebody else. She can't have another husband. But they're not married in the sense that they're together. In fact, the first stage is called Eirusin. It's also called Kiddushin. Why is it called Kiddushin? So the Talmud says in Tractate Kiddushin, and you can see it in source number 5, right below the video. And the Talmud says, Kiddushin dav beizam et beiz. My lishna de Rabbanon. Why did the rabbis use the term Kiddushin? Ha'ish mekadesh, the asar la akula alma kehektesh. Because he makes her prohibited on the whole world, just like Hektish. When you consecrate something for the Holy Temple, no one else can use it because it belongs to Hektish, it belongs to holiness. When you say, You're holy to me. What does it mean you're holy? It means you're like Hektish in the sense that you're forbidden to the, next, to the rest of the world. You're off limits to every other husband. But you're still not with your own husband. You're not in the same house. Until the second stage, which is Nisuya. What does this represent psychologically in a person's life? You have a person that his relationship with God, his relationship with truth, or her relationship with God and truth, and their soul, is defined by the fact that they will not give and surrender their allegiance to others, but not that they experience intimacy with God. Practically in a person's life, this is a type of human being who must constantly resist temptations and addictions and appetites and instincts that may be destructive and unhealthy and promiscuous and immoral. And they must fight against those forces of addictions which can be ferocious and powerful. Can they say... I feel one with God. I'm experiencing intimacy with God. I'm living it up with the joy of the camaraderie and the celebration of an alliance with God as a husband to a wife. They're not there yet. Their relationship with God consists of the fact that I don't have a serious relationship with anything else. I'm at the stage that I know that these things, these behaviors, these relationships, these habits, these instincts will undermine me. They will bury me. They will repress me. They will destroy me. They're not good for me. My relationship with God expresses itself in the fact that I am fighting against 
giving up my spirit and sacrificing my soul on the altar of the devil, on the altar of addiction. That's what my relationship is about. The second person already reaches a much higher and deeper level. This is a person who moves in, so to speak, to the same home with God. They're one. They have intimacy. They're celebrating each other's union. Here the focus is not on abstaining from evil, on battling the negative. Here the focus is on enjoying your relationship. It's your oneness with God. The first person cannot say that they feel a true spiritual oneness with God. They don't feel that. They're just connected in the sense that they're not ready to sell their souls that they're not ready to end up in the abyss of darkness. That they're not ready to sacrifice their integrity. They're not ready to live a life of falsehood. They will not give themselves up to somebody else. They will not pledge allegiance to another relationship. But they feel, still feel separate. They're still not one with their husband. They're still in two separate places. I may not do this and not do this and do a lot of positive things, but I don't feel that oneness... The second stage, Nisuyin, is when you actually move into one home and you become one. Now, the difference between these two people is the second person who reached the stage of Nisuyin feels a certain sense of completion. I'm here, my life is filled with purpose and with meaning and with truth. The first person doesn't feel complete, on the contrary. The first person experiences a continuous longing to touch the divine and a continuous frustration from the fact that he or she is still occupied by staying away from the negative, by abstaining from following their negative habits and addictions. They're frustrated by the fact that their relationship with truth is expressed not so much by the positive as much as it is by the negative. Not so much by what they're doing, but more by what they're not doing. Not so much by the celebration of the relationship with God, but more in constantly working to distance themselves with that which will undermine them. That they spend much more time on than cultivating the divine within them. Why? Because the demons are real. Because the skeletons are powerful. Because the ghosts are ferocious. And that's why their main occupation is to stay away from this and stay away from this. And they're frustrated by it. And they're longing to actually touch the divine and set themselves free. So they never feel complete. They never fully trust themselves. They're never fully proud of themselves. Now let's go back to our original discussion with the vows. Every one of us has vows and promises we make to ourselves that hold us down. We each have vows and pledges and promises, psychological and emotional ones, which don't let us fly, which don't let us soar. They keep us in captivity. They keep our wings tied down. It's things we feel we could never let ourselves go from. Whether it's fear or guilt or shame or insecurity. Whether it's animosity or hate or envy or pain or agony or all the other baggage that people carry with themselves, and it holds their wings down, they could not soar and fly and maximize their potentials and live life to the fullest. These are the nidorim, the vows and promises we make, or we think we made, that hold us down. How do we annul them? How do we nullify them? 
So there are two stages. When you're a Baal, when you reach the state that you're fully married with God, then you think it's your own power. You got it. You're there. You made it. You hit the jackpot. You reached the destination. When you're an Arus, when you're a betrothed groom, you're not fully one with your soul. You're not fully one with your spouse. You're not fully one with God. Then, you can't nullify the vows on your own. You feel the need to surrender to your higher partner. You reach out for help. You say, I need you to hold my hands to nullify my vows. I can't do it on my own. I'm always threatened by the dark addictions. I'm going to end up in the abyss of addiction. I need your help. I'm powerless. You look up to your partner to take you out of your darkness, of your muck, of your quagmire, and you say, I need you. I need a partner. I need you to hold my hand. You need the Father to do it. Like in halacha, like legally. You can't do it on your own. The betrothed husband needs the Father to help him nullify the vow. He can't nullify the vow on his own. Why? Because he's not one with his wife. There's still a tremendous distance. And he's too threatened by the darkness. He says, I can't trust myself. I need your light. I need your assistance. I'm humble. I'm naked. I'm raw. Now you liberate me. You set me free. That's what's happening. You need partnership. You're the one who in your life keeps on remembering, recalling what the Talmud says in Tractate Kedushan. Source number six. Rabbi Shimon ben Levi says... Rabbi Shimon, the son of Levi, says, The negative inclination of a person every day tries to kill him. And if not for God's assistance, you would never be able to prevail. Because there is a force in you that's trying to kill you every day and you must have God's help. This is the stage where the person is not a full-fledged married husband. I can nullify my own vows. I can't. I need my father. I need my father in heaven. But now what happens is something that works paradoxically. The Baal, the full-fledged husband, can only nullify the vows that are present. He can't nullify the vows from earlier. The Oros, the betrothed groom, can can nullify the previous vows because he has the help of the father. Many of our vows, many things that hold us down are things that happened to us in our youth, in our childhood, in our past. They're not things that are happening now. They're things that are ingrained and are entrenched in the unconscious cellars of our psyche. But they hold us down throughout life and they almost compel us into certain relationships and habits that we can't get ourselves out from. The person who's relying solely on himself is proud of his or her spiritual accomplishments and says, I can deal with my vows. I will nullify my wife's vows. This person can't reach into the past. They can't go to that place. They can only deal with the vows that are present that were brought into the relationship, into the marriage, but not the vows that were brought in before. The person, however, who surrenders to their higher partner and says, I need your help, When you do that, since you're nullifying your vows with the help of God, you can reach back into the unconscious chambers of your soul, into the darkest dimensions of your psyche that are ingrained and are entrenched, those vows from previous 
from your previous years, from your youthful years, maybe from childhood or from adolescence, before you entered into your marriage, now before you entered into a relationship, before you entered into this place of life, it's from the past. But since you're with the Father, you're holding your Father's hand, and He always had a relationship with this daughter. He always had a relationship with this person. So therefore, you can go into those parts and nullify those vows. And let your wings soar and set your angel free. Good night. Bye-bye.